Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 1-0 win over West Ham United in the FA Cup fifth round. Scott McTominay scoring the decisive goal in the 97th minute. Carl, a bit like watching paint dry, maybe? How did you feel about that match? One word, snooze fest. That was... (laughs) That's two, I think. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going with one, okay? <laughs> that was painful. That was absolutely painful. I really hope that anybody who's PVR'd or recorded that game really clues into this game real quick and uses that fast forward bu- button a lot because that was a tough watch, especially mm-hmm. after 45 minutes. It was a whole lot of nothing. West Ham clearly set up their shop to defend as deep as possible and make us break them down. It looked like after the 50th minute, we just uh, didn't want to be there anymore. I don't know if the cold got to them and the snow wasn't to their liking, but nobody wanted to just take the game by the scruff of the neck until Ole finally made his substitutions. And then you could see the rhythm start to change. And I think Scott said, enough's enough. I'm just banging one in. Yeah, I feel for Ole a little bit because he is trying to get some rest for his players. And so he's probably saying, hey, guys, can you just take care of business so I can get Bruno some rest? So I can, you know, maybe if you get a goal, I can take Erwan Bissaka off earlier. Uh, He came off in the 90th minute. We can get into what happened with that a bit later. Just looking at the way things started out, United 4-2-3-1, West Ham 4-2-3-1. You had Henderson coming in for David De Gea, Tellez in for Luke Shaw, Fred Coming in for Scott, Matic for Pogba, Donny van de Beek for Bruno, Anthony Marshall for Edinson Cavani, and you had Ahmad Diallo on the bench. I'm sure people were looking at that and thinking, okay, maybe there's a chance United get a couple goals and we get to see the kid. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Just to start out, how do you think United lined up and what were your impressions? I thought it was a, it was a good lineup where you're able to give rest, as you pointed out. But at the same time, it was still a strong enough squad to be able to do the business. And I thought it was a great opportunity for some of those players who were on the fringes of the squad to really show why Ole should be picking them more. Give him a tough decision to make against West Brom. If anything, they just made his decision a whole lot easier for who he's going to pick against West Brom because that was a very, very timid performance. There were so many people I can pick out here I mean, Donny van de Beek was one of them. I didn't think Fred was that great. I thought the tempo, lots of sideways passing. I didn't think Matic really added too much apart from his physicality. Mm-hmm. I personally didn't think Alex Tellez did a good job either. I thought he would he would give a little bit more. You know, overall, it was just disappointing to say the least. Did it surprise you at all that Antonio didn't play for West Ham? I was very surprised. I, was he rested? Did he have some sort of niggle? Because he could have probably feasted on us today. Yeah, I thought at the very least lay, later on we'd see him, but that was never the case. You know, maybe that was just David Moyes prioritizing him for the league. You know, I, I thought, especially with the form that Antonio's been in, with him not there, it should have given United even more of an impetus to drive forward. Yeah, Vivek, and also, you know, Donny van de Beek was playing in his favored number 10 position. If you were to rate him out of 10, what would you give him? Were you happy with his performance? No, I was extremely disappointed. Uh, out of uh, 10, 
I guess you got to give him a couple points just for being on the pitch. At least he didn't look like he was out of shape. So he's putting in the hard yards and training. I can at least say that much. But beyond that, just it's becoming too much of the same old, same old for me. That desperation to play in those small triangles. And this was clearly a match where you could see someone was going to have to take control in the midfield and just get United into their attacks quicker. And he was never able to do that. I am still waiting for the day that I see him just spray the ball across over, you know, (laughs) beyond 30 meters or whatever it may be, right? To get it to a winger, whatever it was. I mean, Bruno came on later and you saw immediately there was one touch that sprayed it out wide to Greenwood uh, to get into the action. And all of a sudden, that was it looked like the first time United were in behind. Mm -hmm. You never saw a play like that from Donny van de Beek. You know, I kind of take back what I said before about him just needing to be himself and needing to just execute his style of play better. I think he has to recognize the reality that United is a team that is going to attack at its best off of quick touches, off of catching the defense, sleeping a bit off of those quick switches in play. That involves a certain level of directness that he just doesn't seem to have in his game. So when you're not playing, some of the things that can affect you is fitness, uh, your touch, and your confidence. To your point, Donnie looked pretty fit. He didn't look like he was running out of gas anytime soon, so that's a good sign. His touch, it looked fine. It didn't look like he, he lost that either, so that's good. So one thing that you I cannot account for, whether you're sitting on the bench or wherever you are, is your football brain. You know, Ajax prides themselves on having academy graduates that live eat and breathe the game. But what I saw from Donny today, I was very disappointed. We know that he likes to play in the hole. He likes to play between the defense and the midfield. Same thing as Bruno, and it's what's expected of a number 10. When you have a team like West Ham, which is set up where their their back line and their midfield are really close together, extremely compact, you've got to alter your game. You cannot play the same game that you've always played. You've got to be able to read it and make an in-game adjustment. Donnie kept trying to play in between these two holes that didn't exist, and they were being shut out every time. Every time Fred or Matic tried to find Donnie, it was getting intercepted because there's no space. So you've got to come out, pull out a little bit, play closer to Matic and Fred, make sure your body is facing the net, and then (laughs) you've got to make the decision quick enough. We've seen from the brief times that he's played, he's got a fantastic touch. He's got a fantastic brain. He knows players that are behind him without even looking, which is why this surprises me even more that he's struggling to figure this out on his own. He also seems to have a liking towards the left-hand side of the pitch because it's very rare that he'll move himself over to the right. That player talking about with Bruno Fernandes where he played in Greenwood with the outside of his right boot. Bruno got that because he was shading to the right-hand side of the pitch. This is the second time we've seen Donny van de Beek just not make these adjustments. And that is the most frustrating part. The last thing I'll say about him is, okay, fine. You might not have the form or the confidence. But one thing is, what is my team's identity? You've already talked about it from an offensive standpoint. We're a quick, direct, counter-attacking team. When we don't have the ball... We have to press. And anybody who watches United knows that Bruno probably presses way too much. And he needs to conserve some of that energy. I was watching Donny today. 
when it came to the press, he was mediocre at best. And so it was very easy for West Ham to to break our press. We all know that if one person doesn't put in the shift, there's a there's a leak, and then the press yep. is basically rendered useless. Mm-hmm. Like when it comes to positioning, when it comes to pressing, when it comes to shooting, you've got to be able to do these things to get into the team. And I just don't see that right now. The only saving grace and the only reason why I'm not going to write him off is that give him a run of games, three games, four games. If he doesn't show any sort of improvement, I'm going to tell him, hey, you're sitting on the bench until we have an injury because I'm not seeing what I need to see. I think this Europa League game, if he plays in that, is going to be very important for him because he's probably going to get two cracks at that because there's two Europa games. That's judgment day for him in, in my books. And you think about this period right now that's in front of him. This is a golden opportunity for him with Pogba out injured. He should be saying, this is my chance to show how much I can do for this club. So this was definitely an opportunity lost for him. Another player who came into the 11 was Alex Tellez, coming in for a very informed Luke Shaw. I was interested to see how he would perform after a long period out. Again, I was surprised when United beat Southampton 9-0 that when Shaw came off, there wasn't room for Tellez in that match. From that standpoint, I'm thinking, what is the message to Tellez if if Solskjaer is more willing to play Fred at left back than you? That first half, I thought he was really good. Uh, I thought he he made some solid crosses. There was obviously the corner that he had to Lindelof uh, that hit the post. Uh, there was the chance that he set up uh, Marshall with a through ball that was saved by Fabianski. So th- that chance was in the 11th minute. There was the corner that was in the 27th. And then he made actually, uh, after that, after the half hour mark, there were a couple of chances that West Ham could have created where he was the one to snuff it out. There was an opportunity where Bowen was through and he's not a slow player. Like he has pace of his own. And so to see Tellez uh, break that up and make uh, be the last man back in that situation was great. There was another long ball that was played where he was able to snuff it out. He, it, it resulted in a corner. But again, those things for me were very encouraging. Second half as a whole, I thought he dipped, but I think that was also something that was consistent with the entire team. So I won't put that just on him. On that first half alone, I did think it was a very good performance. How about you? So Vivek, until you made those points, I think I had a bit of recency bias. when I we, Because <laughs> all I remember from that game was probably extra time in the second half. I wasn't very impressed with anything he did. But to your point... A lot of the chances created clearly came from Alex Tellis in the first half. So you got to give credit where credit's due. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I was frustrated with him. But taking a step back, I shouldn't have been as frustrated. Now, one thing that I also want to point out is a lot of the balls that were coming on the left-hand side where it was played from Matic or Fred, uh, Tellis was actually making the run. However, the ball was going to Rashford first. And I could count at least four or five times on my hand where Rashford got it and then would cut inside and wouldn't play the overlapping Tellus. Now, that must be demoralizing to say the least because if I'm busting a gut to get past my forward and then I got to run all the way back and you don't play me in, I'm going to stop doing that. And I could clearly see that in the second half. And so... That's what led to my frustration, but I was just seeing what Tellers wasn't doing. But if you actually look at what he was doing, 
it's natural for any human being if they're not getting played in they're just probably not going to make that run anymore so i think it's on rashford next time to play that overlap you clearly play it when luke shaw is playing so i think alex tellers needs to get a little bit more love from some of his attacking players and you'll start to see what he can deliver because he's good at running and delivering across first time he does not need to take a touch and edinson cavani can attest to this i know that much <laughs> as the saying goes fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me if he's making run after run after run and he's not being found at a certain point he's perfectly within his rights to say dude you're not passing me the ball why should i waste my energy the one thing i will say about alex telles and this worries me a little bit if he's playing a higher caliber of opposition when fredericks who is the right back in the second half was running at telles and would just faint with his shoulder and go the other way telles got beaten way too easily and telles does not have the recovery pace to pull an aaron wanbasaka and block a cross you do that against you know the likes of mohammed salah or any of those attacking players you're in deep trouble and so that's something that worries me and it shows me that telles in the big games if luke shaw is injured we might be in trouble yeah i'm 100% with you on that he is clearly a backup left back that can be used in these cup competitions or potentially in the next fixture against a west bromwich albion side that is in relegation those are the only situations i can see him playing in right now as you pointed out he's too weak defensively physicality as well we're seeing is a big issue there's several times over and over where you're seeing him just get bodied off the ball there were a couple of times i will say where he did try to get ahead of the man marking him and hit the ball ahead and then he's just getting out muscled and he's looking to the referee for a call and there's nothing coming and that's life in english football we've mentioned a few chances especially in the 53rd minute united had a huge opportunity the ball comes in from the right from greenwood it bobbles around a bit and it finds rashford at the far post he takes a great first touch he chests it down and then he fails to score past fabianski with the left feel like this has been a bit of a pattern in the last few matches we've talked about his left foot should rashford be doing better there absolutely the commentator even pointed it out fabianski is obviously coming closing down the space making himself big but there was a nice big gap near to the near post where mm-hmm. rashford just passes it into the net he's got more of an opportunity instead he he hit it straight at the keeper it almost looked like you know when you're panicking and you just want to get the shot off quickly you just make sure it's on target and that's about it i think that's what happened and if if i remember correctly michael owen way back now a couple of months said as a striker your goal is not to just get the shot on target but you've got to hit the corners every time. That's what you do as a striker. That's what you're paid to do. That's why you get paid the big bucks. And so just getting a shot on target is not good when you're a starting forward for Manchester United. So I think he should have done a lot better. He could have been a lot more clinical. I think you hit the nail on the head with that comment because you look at that replay and it looked as though he hit it just to hit it, not to score it. and i feel like whenever it's on his left whenever it's on his head he hits it just to hit it there's no real scoring threat from him with either his left or his head we we've gone over this a few times so i'm not going to keep hammering at it but you look at those chances that united had and something that has become a bit of a talking point across 
United fans has been United's lack of creativity without Bruno Fernandes. And to me, when I look at the last few matches that United have gone in without Bruno, I don't look at it as a lack of creativity. I look at it as an inability to be clinical. And to me, there's a big difference. To me, if you look at those three chances, of the three, at the very least, one should be going in, maybe two. And frankly, I would even say it should be four because there was a chance that Rashford had that we discussed. There was a chance that Marshall had that we discussed. There was a header from Lindelof that was a great save by Fabianski onto the post. But then there was a fourth where Greenwood again sends a low cross into the box. But because Marshall doesn't have those prototypical number nine instincts, he doesn't make that run to the near post. So it's an easy clearance for the West Ham defender. So with those chances, United just need to be scoring that. You are creating the chances. And we saw when they are clinical, we saw in that FA Cup fixture without Bruno Fernandes, when they are clinical, the goals are there. I think, you know, that that is brilliant insight. And it's something that is uh, dearly missed on DeZone. I hope DeZone's listening to us. <laughs> because Vivek, that's the type of insight that lands your job on on the panel instead of on Michael <laughs> Owen, you know? <laughs> But all joking aside, that was you, you've hit the nail on the head because rewind a little bit to that Manchester City-Liverpool game. United played a very similar team uh, that Liverpool was set up. They had Fabinho and Henderson at the back. And United, they did create some chances, weren't clinical, right? And when we're talking about winning a title, you have to be clinical. Look what Manchester City went and did. They missed their penalty. But then they opened up Liverpool. And when they did, they took the chances. And what happened? Yes, okay, we got a little help from... I would have loved to see that Allison play against us. I would have loved to have seen that. That Pogba shot and that Bruno shot would be in the back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so your point on being clinical versus being creative, I think that is that is brilliant because it's not that we don't create chances and it's not that we're not creating good chances. They're good chances, and there's more than one of them. So, Carl, 73rd minute, we finally see some changes. Bruno comes on for Van de Beek. Scott McTominay comes on for Matic. Cavani came on a bit later in the 86th minute for Mason Greenwood, who, again, I thought had a really strong performance. The goals aren't there for him, but... I'm really proud of the fact that as opposed to before when he was forcing his game, forcing his game, playing as if he needs to score and that's it. He's really doing a lot for the team, providing chances and also defending. He was he was great again today. I know we were both on him about playing with his head up and getting more assists into his game as opposed to just, you know, having tunnel vision and just shooting at the goal every time. He's clearly changed that. Because the way he's getting crosses into the box and not just hitting it for the sake of hitting it, those are good crosses. The commentator pointed out to one where he crossed one to the near post and he clearly mentioned if there was an Edinson Cavani there making Mm -hmm. that run, we would have had a different result. Except Martial and Rashford are just not used to making that run and you could see Martial only started to make the run after the cross was played. You have to make that before because you got to run across the, the, the defender in order to get any sort of touch on that. I did think, I think it was in the 16th minute where Greenwood opened up and took a nice shot and Aaron Cresswell actually blocked that. Yeah. That looked like that was going in. So mm-hmm. 
I think the commentator was a little harsh on Greenwood because he said Greenwood could have done better. I think Greenwood did everything that was expected. If it wasn't for the block, Fabianski is not getting that because it was in the corner. No, I'm totally with you on that. In fact, does Mason Greenwood deserve the Cantona collar for this performance? I would tend to agree with that. I think, you know, for a young 19-year-old kid, I know that Phil Foden's getting all the plaudits on the other side of Manchester, but... Deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly so. If Greenwood just has knocks in a couple of goals, he's going to be in that conversation with Phil Foden. So I think I think that Greenwood was inspired. He was going down the left. He was crossing the ball well. He was making things happening by cutting inside. He he deserves the Cantona collar today. On the flip side, we criticized Donny van de Beek quite a bit. I, I don't know if there's much of an argument against him taking the Beckham boot. Yeah, that's a unanimous decision there. There's no arguments. So, Carl, the match then headed to extra time where we saw Aaron Wan-Bissaka finally get a break and he rushed and found himself a banana (laughs) to give himself some energy. Uh, Brandon Williams came on at right back. You had Luke Shaw coming on for Alex Tellez. 97th minute, a counter for United. Anthony Marshall brings the ball up, feeds Bruno, who finds Fred. And then, again, the ball sort of bobbles around, makes its way to Rashford, who lays it off for Scott. And Scott, he's making a habit of getting these uh, goals on the run where he's just filling the space and placing the ball perfectly, Carl. That was a, you know, (laughs) that goal did not mirror the game whatsoever because that had class written right all over it. And that (laughs) game was anything but classy. I thought, you know, the touch from Rashford was, was a great first touch. But the presence of mind from Scott to be able to hit that first time low to the ground, make it hard for the keeper, that is exactly what your coaches teach you to do. You don't have to get too much power behind it, but just get the accuracy and low down. It's hard for a keeper to save. And Scott's making a habit of those kind of finishes because this isn't the first time. And he's very, very good at hitting it first time and getting it on target with a decent amount of power. I was really impressed with that. And it just goes to show you the engine that Scott has to be able to make up the yards because this was a counter and find himself in the box to finish that. Carl, West Ham didn't really have much in the way of chances the rest of the way. United looked pretty in control and it was a fairly comfortable victory. Was there anyone that stood out to you from the West Ham side of things? Yeah, I thought uh, Dawson was fantastic. Uh, and he probably had West Ham's best chance of the game when it came in from the corner. He got his head to it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't get enough behind it. And it, it went off target. And United were able to to clear it after that. But I thought Dawson was fantastic when he was defending. He defended the near post really well. It was Greenwood who had that cross in. And it was Dawson who intercepted it before Martial got there. So he did a lot of things right. He was on the back of Martial. He wasn't letting him turn while not getting a yellow card at the same time. So highly impressive given that he was just at Watford a couple of months ago and he's come up and had no problem fitting into this West Ham team. And I think he's part of the reason why West Ham has had such great form, especially at the back. Yeah, completely with you. And I'm sure there were a lot of hearts in their mouths when West Ham had that set piece. And you're thinking, oh boy. Is another team going to score in the last minute against United off a set piece? Thankfully, that didn't go in and United were able to win it in the end. Moving on, 
the last thing I want to touch on here about this match before we go into previewing WBA is there's been some talk about Dean Henderson growing impatient at the club and wanting more opportunities and wanting a string of games because he feels he's done nothing wrong. Where do you stand on Henderson's performances this season? Do you think he's shown enough to say that he is better than David De Gea right now? If I'm being honest, I don't think he's shown enough. I think he's very close. I definitely think that he needs to be at United a full season to see the ins and outs and the pressure that a keeper has to face when they make a small mistake. He's he's seeing that firsthand, not only with himself when he made that mistake against Sheffield United, but he's watching and listening to the criticisms from David, uh, David De Gea is getting. So I think this is all part of his journey. He's a very young boy and the future is bright for him. And I know Ole mentioned him in the press conference. Make no mistake, that wasn't just Ole being nice and mentioning Dean Henderson. This was a clear message to David De Gea. Hey, Henderson's growing impatient. If you don't get your act together, there's somebody waiting. And I think that was Ole's way of reminding De Gea what's happened in the past where you haven't had competition. Don't expect that to happen in the future. Especially when you're the highest paid player at the club. Yep. I think when you look at Dean Henderson's situation right now, I will say a window has been opened because David De Gea, the last few matches, has been below par. And I would say for the whole season, David De Gea has been very good. But these last few matches, there has been a dip in the level. Solskjaer is perfectly within his rights to say, hey, if you don't snap out of this funk, we have a keeper who's ready to step in. And so... While you may have assumed that your place for league fixtures is safe, with these performances, you can stop thinking of that. Yeah, I don't think he's no longer untouchable. Moving on to West Bromwich Albion. That'll be the next match on Sunday, Feb 14th. What are your expectations from Big Sam and his boys? Well, it's Valentine's Day, but I don't think Sam Allardyce is going to be showing us any love, that's for sure. <laughs> I think uh, we're in for a tough physical game. You better believe it because every single time a Sam Allardyce team plays us, they crowd David De Gea and they make his life very uncomfortable from set pieces. And Big Sam, I'm sure, has watched what happened in the Everton game. He's probably licking his chops right now, waiting for West Brom, telling them all you need to do is get a corner kick and we're going to score. That is 100% going to be the strategy from West Brom. United better be aware, better be alert. Better have Cavani at that near post defending because West Brom is going to come at us. They're going to play the long ball. They're going to go for those set pieces. And then they're going to try to make a count. De Gea better be strong. He's got to show what he's made of here because he's going to get hit. You know it's coming. That being said, West Brom is a team with the worst goal difference in the league. Some might say, based on the way Sheffield United have been playing of late, that West Brom and not Sheffield are the worst team in the league. Should Dean Henderson get the opportunity here as well? If United still have any aspirations of the title, I say yes. We know that Ole is not the type of manager who upsets the apple cart too easily. For that reason, I think De Gea is still going to get another shot at uh, redemption. And he will start. But if I were Ole... I would probably give Henderson that start because I know what's coming. We can all see what's coming. 
why take that chance if you don't need to? Especially when you have someone on the bench who's more than capable and has played in the championship and experienced this physicality and then shown in the Premier League that he can still do this. So what about yourself, Vivek? What would you do? So I actually would back David De Gea for this match. And I would say, show that, that you can return to form. Show why your experience matters in a match like this. And frankly, if he does make a blunder in this match, then he has no argument against Dean Henderson coming into the side. Because you're literally playing against the worst goal difference side in this match. You have the experience advantage. You should know exactly what to expect from a Big Sam team. And if you make glaring mistakes in this fixture, then it's completely on you. There's no one else that you can look at except the man in the mirror. So that's the challenge that I would issue him. What's your team for the the game? So looking at the back four, I really wish United had got an early goal so that Brandon Williams could have come on at halftime and Juan Bissaka could have got a bit of a rest. So I'm actually going to take that chance now. I'm going to start Brandon Williams. I'm going to continue with Lindelof and Maguire in the back. Luke Shaw comes into the side because he got his break. Scott will play. He got a decent break. Do you need two defensive mids? You really don't. But then do Bruno and Van de Beek play together? Yeah, I don't think you have many other options from an attacking front because you've got Matic who's defensive. Cavani got his break. Does he come in? I think Cavani comes in for this game. I think Cavani will be up top. This might be a decent chance to get Rashford a break. So I would play Marshall on the left. Greenwood, I think I'm riding his form. He's got young legs. Let him be on the right. Bruno got his rest. So yeah, he's just having Donny van de Beek in the team then. Yeah, so let's see. You know what, Vivek? I was actually very impressed with Martial when he shifted out to the left-hand side against West Ham. So and I thought he he looked much more dangerous and, he you know, cutting in. And the good thing is he can go left or right. And he does do that. Whereas I think Rashford is a little bit more predictable. Martial is a little bit more comfortable on his left foot. So I was very impressed with the way Martial played when he was on the left. So I wouldn't mind giving that another go. And then, you know what, just getting Donny van der Beek a run of games, now is a chance to do it. Let's see if he if he does it or not. Let's go, Donny. Let's go, Donny. Do it for the Dutch. Now, I think we've touched on everything we need to hear. A little bit of a bombshell. I don't know if uh, you saw this come out today, Carl, but uh, there was a news report about Borussia Dortmund and the financial situation that they're in. It says that with the losses in TV revenue and Dortmund currently being sixth in the table, they are facing the prospect of losing another £75 million if they don't qualify for the Champions League next season. In that eventuality, player transfers would be inevitable and they have drawn up an eight-man shortlist of saleable assets on which Jadon Sancho can be found alongside Axel Witzel, Manuel Akanji, Mahmoud Dahoud, Giovanni Reyna, Jude Bellingham, Rafael Guerrero, and Erling Haaland. How does that make you feel? Wow, you definitely weren't kidding when you said bombshell. Wow, that is a mouth-watering list that you've just named and... Borussia Dortmund, I wonder, you know what, sticking to their guns last season with Sancho, whether that's coming back to bite them in you-know-what. But that that sounds very appetizing to me, Vivek. (laughs) I think we can leave listeners with that tasty thought. 
A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.